for Thursday, April 15th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, public health researchers estimate that one child loses a parent for every 13 COVID-19 deaths. And that means that about 40,000 children had likely experienced a death of a parent due to COVID from February 2020 to February 2021. Rachel Kidman, an epidemiologist at Stony Brook University, joins me to discuss how researchers obtain those estimates and what's at stake for those children. That's next. Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging, believing it's not just about living longer, it's about living healthier longer. Providing medical diagnostics to help catch deadly or debilitating diseases early. You can learn more on proactive screenings at virtualimagingatl.com. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. As many as 43,000 children lost a parent to COVID-19 from February 2020 to February 2021. That's according to a recent research letter in JAMA Pediatrics from a team of public health researchers trying to capture the scale of the pandemic's impact on children. Rachel Kidman, an epidemiologist at Stony Brook University, is part of the team who did that work. She's with me now to discuss what her team found and its implications. Rachel, thanks for talking with me. No problem. My pleasure. We're here today to talk about this study that you and your colleagues recently put out, kind of looking at the impact that the pandemic has had on children losing parents to COVID-19. And I want to get a little bit into the findings in a moment, but just to start, talk to me about why you decided to do this work. Well, every day I open up the newspaper and I will see a growing count of how many people have died But it's not just about who dies, it's also about who's being left behind. And I've been really worried about the kids who are left behind. For the past 15 years or so, I've been doing research on children affected by the HIV AIDS epidemic in Sub-Saharan Africa. And my work and, and that of many, many others has shown that kids who lose a parent face immense challenges. The same is true here in the United States. So we know kids who experience parental death are more likely to suffer from depression, to drop out of school or otherwise have poor educational outcomes, to exhibit greater suicidality, to take more risks, they may be more likely even to experience abuse. And those impacts continue to reverberate across their life. And the death of a parent is a really powerful adverse experience, and I was really concerned. So despite all of these implications for children, we've seen very little mention of the children who are being orphaned due to COVID. 
it just it hasn't been a focus. I think largely because most deaths have occurred among the elderly, but a sizable number of deaths have occurred in those in their 30s and their 40s and their 50s, many of whom are parents. So my co-authors and I knew there was this growing population of bereaved children, and we felt like it was important to highlight just how large this population was. My general understanding is that even looking at all deaths from COVID-19, that's not even a number that we have a very clear picture of, even a year into this pandemic. So how do you even go about starting to calculate the number of children who have lost parents? Well, we have to use the estimates that are out there. And as you said, they may not be perfect, but they give us a sense at least of how many people have died. And there are two numbers. One is the number of people who have died directly due to COVID. So we know that their death was due to COVID. And then the other number is excess deaths. So we also know that compared to last year or the year before, far more people are dying. And not all of those people have COVID on their death certificates, but they're dying within this pandemic and they're dying at greater numbers than we would have expected otherwise. So that might be somebody who had a heart attack but couldn't get to the ER because it was full of COVID patients or didn't want to go because they were afraid of being infected. All of those deaths, those excess deaths, we can also use as an input to try and figure out how many children have lost a parent this year due to the pandemic overall. Maybe walk me through how y'all actually then get to doing this calculation. There's something in this paper that jumped out to me, this idea of a bereavement multiplier. Can you tell me a little about that? Sure. This concept of a bereavement multiplier was developed by my amazing co-authors, Drs. Rachel Margolis, uh, Emily Smith-Greenaway, and Ashton Veradere. And they had used models of kinship networks, so that's family structures in the U.S., to figure out how many people in a family are left behind every time somebody dies. And that's the bereavement multiplier. So how many parents, how many aunts, cousins, partners, and most importantly for the work we're discussing today, how many children are left behind when a person dies? And they can do this for the deaths of a specific age, gender, race. And so for this particular paper, we combined those models and that information on bereavement multipliers with what we know about the age-graded COVID mortality. So for every COVID death, we can then estimate how many kids on average were left behind. And that, I think, very nicely gets us to what y'all found. So, so walk me through the kind of top-level findings here. So the models indicate that one child loses a parent for every 13 or so COVID deaths. And that means that about 40,000 children had likely experienced a death of a parent due to COVID from February 2020 to February 2021. That number obviously has risen since we published this paper because there's been greater mortality. Again, slightly fewer kids would be in that estimate if we're only including deaths directly due to COVID, slightly more if we look at excess mortality. That's that all-cause mortality that's due both directly and indirectly to the pandemic. And I'm wondering if, if there was anything in this data other than that big number that surprised you here, specifically if y'all saw any distinctions about how different racial or ethnic groups are potentially impacted. Well, we know the burden of mortality is not shared equally. There are these really strong racial and economic disparities, as you mentioned. And so I guess it wasn't surprising, really, that we found that orphanhood is disproportionately experienced by children of color. 
While Black children made up about 14% of kids in America last year, they accounted for about 20% of those who lost a parent to COVID. And if you think back to some of the impacts I was talking about earlier, you know, dropping out of school, depression, anxiety, the things we worry about with kids who, who lose a parent, these are going to be disproportionately experienced by kids of color. You know, you mentioned we've been talking a little bit about excess deaths, and I think it's always important to put numbers like these in the context of a normal year or even other big high mortality events here in the country. So how does what y'all find compare to just kind of the yearly number of children who lose parents or uh, children who have lost parents to other high mortality events? So we found that compared to a typical year, so a year without COVID, we are seeing about a 20% jump in the number of kids who are losing a parent. The range is about 18 to 20, depending on whether or not we're talking about direct COVID deaths or, again, excess mortality. But it's a 20% jump over what we would expect in a typical year. And just to put that in comparison, uh, historically, the events of 9-11 left about 3,000 kids without a parent. We're talking upwards of 40,000 kids right now who have lost a parent due to this crisis. That's just a really staggering statistic. And, and I'm kind of wondering just on a personal, emotional level, how you reacted to your findings. It's heartbreaking. I have two young children, daughters who are six and eight, and I worry about this every day within the pandemic. And so as a researcher, knowing the adverse events that can follow the death of a parent, uh, having studied this for many years, it's heartbreaking to think about how many kids are experiencing not only the death of a parent, but the death of a parent at this unique time of complete social isolation when they don't have their families and friends and other support networks around them. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead, talking today with Rachel Kidman, an epidemiologist at Stony Brook University. We're discussing her recent work estimating how many children have lost a parent to the pandemic. You mentioned that this has been just a, a challenging year for many children already uh, coping with the pandemic, being out of school. What do these kids need? Um, and, and are you aware of any effort at the state or federal level to connect them with services? These kids need a lot of support. And that means sweeping national reforms to protect the kids at the, the highest level. You know, the kids are experiencing this profound loss, as you say, at a time of social isolation and economic strain. So in the U.S., there are new federal policies, such as expanding the child tax credit, that'll help raise some of these families out of dire poverty, especially if combined with help accessing Social Security benefits. Though I might mention that, that too often kids are eligible for Social Security benefits and don't receive them. So we have to be proactive about making sure their families have this information and are able to sign up for these benefits. But we also need to be paying close attention to their social needs and their emotional needs. Many families are grieving in isolation. There's been no communal wakes, no ability to sit shiva and have friends rally around a family. Neighbors can't check in on them in the same way as, as we're used to. It's a very strange and isolating time. And I think that's one reason why schools are so important right now. And I'm heartened that the new relief package contains financial support to help schools open safely. 
Having open schools means kids have a chance to socialize with their friends, to be supported by caring adults. And those adults, you know, the teachers, the social workers, the guidance counselors and others, they're a, a critical line of support for kids. Those are the people who see these kids on a daily basis, who know if they're doing okay or if they need some extra support or even specialized care. And many of these children are going to need interventions to help them deal with the grief and prevent more severe mental health consequences down the road. And psychologists have developed brief interventions at work to reduce you know, traumatic grief. And we need to make those evidence-based interventions more widely available. We need to make mental health services more generally available. There are going to be a lot of children, both those who have lost parents to the pandemic, but also those otherwise affected by the, the COVID pandemic, who are going to need individual counseling now and possibly in the long term. So we need to fund a response that's adequate to the scale of their needs. And, you know, Congress has already approved compensation for things like funeral expenses. And I think setting aside funds to help those who are grieving is it's the next logical step. We've heard so many times over the course of the pandemic how schools are such important places for kids, not, not only to provide them education, but the other kinds of wraparound services that many receive. Is that where who these kids are will, will really start to be revealed? Y'all have identified the size of this cohort, but that doesn't ne necessarily put names and, and faces to these children who have lost parents. I think schools are a great place to start. We're not going to be able to identify every child through the school, but I think it is a great place to start. You know, three quarters of the kids who have lost a parent are adolescents, so there were 10 to 17. A lot of the rest of those kids are also elementary school ages. And so most of the kids who have lost a parent are going to hopefully be in school. And I think that their teachers or social workers in particular and the, the counselors that are in those schools really are going to be helpful in identifying kids who have lost a parent, who need the support of that school community, but also who need support from, you know, government agencies can help uh, start you know, linking them to critical economic services and, and other services. So yes, I think schools are a great place to start. At this point in time, it's still not clear when the pandemic will be over. Did you and your colleagues kind of project forward as to how these numbers might change as the pandemic continues? We did. The beauty of the bereavement multiplier, which my colleagues uh, you know, devised, is that it can really make estimates as the pandemic evolves. So we know that for every death, 0 0.078 children lose a parent. And so you can multiply that out as we go. In fact, when we started this process, we started modeling at a time when there were 220,000 recorded deaths in this country. By the time the article went to publication, we were around 500,000. That had actually been one of our projections at that time. But the pandemic has just moved so quickly that that projection became a reality. And in the paper, we do present a projection for, you know, if, if we need to rely on herd immunity, if we don't have vaccines that work, luckily we do. But if there's a variant, for example, that spreads and we have excess deaths up to 1.5 million. But anyone can use that paper and that multiplier to really project deaths at any point during the pandemic. 
there are still a lot of questions about the different ways that children will carry this pandemic with them and the kind of generational effects that this pandemic might have on younger people. How do you think about the context of, of your work in that conversation about what all this parental death is going to mean for children who have experienced it and, and how they'll potentially carry it with them through the rest of their lives? It's worrisome. I think there's been a lot of study in the U.S. on a topic called adverse childhood experiences, and orphanhood is one of those experiences, losing a parent. And we know that that has implications, those adversities across the lifespan. It's not just in childhood. It's not just in their teenage years, but it's going through life, you know, and it has impacts on health outcomes from cancer to, you know, sexually transmitted diseases. It has impacts on their mental health throughout their life. And so it's very worrisome to think um, about what might happen. And frankly, we don't know enough about this cohort right now to project uh, into the future. We know, you know, what we might anticipate, but I don't think we can only draw on, you know, past research. We don't know how children are dealing with their grief during this really unique social isolation. We don't know the long-term physical and mental health impacts of, of this mass parental bereavement. When schools have been closed for long stretches, when families can't come together, we don't know if the grief will be more traumatic and more long-lasting. And we need to follow these kids and, and be really flexible and responsive to their needs going forward. Yours, I think, is, is one of the first pieces of, of work that I have seen that really drills down past the high-level mortality numbers that, say, we've gotten out of organizations like the CDC. What is the value in naming this cohort and saying of the general scope of mortality of, of this pandemic, here is one subset of affected people that we have identified? What is the value of identifying a group like you have? I think there are a couple important reasons why we do it. The first is to really stress that there are kids, a large number of kids suffering immense grief, and that we need to put the funds and resources behind a response to help them right now. And most of what I'm suggesting as a response, whether that's more evidence-based counseling and mental health resources, whether that's economic support through these national policies, this is a safety net for all kids. You make a good point. Many children have been impacted by this pandemic. Uh, and children who lost parents to or during the COVID pandemic need that support now. But moving forward, they're will continue to be children who experience parental death and, and the grief and economic insecurity that accompanies that. And so putting universal supports in place now will help all these children in the long run. I think the second reason to identify them is that we don't know what their needs are going to be. Right now, I'm basing my um, recommendations on past research. But again, I want to be clear. We don't know how they're dealing with their grief right now. I don't know how this acute national crisis, this context is affecting their experiences. And so I do think we need to identify these kids in particular, and we do need to actually follow them longitudinally to really understand what their emerging needs are. Mm -hmm. 
Rachel Kidman is an epidemiologist at Stony Brook University. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's where you can also leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. I'm Max Hines, executive chef at Breaker Breaker and host of Just Set, a podcast featuring the folks moving Atlanta's culinary scene forward. I've worked in restaurants for most of my life and heard countless stories from the people who make your dining experiences possible. Some inspiring, some heartbreaking, all of them important. Listen as Atlanta chefs, mixologists, farmers, and more talk about opening restaurants, concocting the perfect drink, or supplying local produce, all while shining a light on challenges in the industry. WABE.org slash Just Set or your favorite podcast platform. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org donate. And thanks.